But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word now, I ask that you'd be here with us by your spirit and speak powerfully. We want to be men and women and children who worship in spirit and truth, worship in a way that, is, that pleases your heart, that really brings you great joy, and in a way that satisfies our souls. So I pray that you would come, you would teach us, you would help us to understand what this text is saying. But more than that, more than just cognitive understanding, I pray that the truth of it by the power of your spirit would live in our hearts, that we would encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark Twain, famous author of Huckleberry Finn and other books, he said the two most important days in a person's life, you may not agree with this completely, but good sentiment anyways, is the day they were born and first, and then the second is the day they found out why. So the day they were born is an important day, and then he says the other important day is the day they found out a person finds out why they were born. I hope today you will discover, perhaps for the first time, or maybe rediscover why you were born. Namely, that you were born to worship. You were born to live for the glory of God. Worship oftentimes is seen only as singing songs. And it's much more than that. Certainly we want to apply, we want to think about our singing and our praise to God when we gather together with music. But it's much more than that. You were born to worship. You exist for the praise and the glory of God. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he helps to really, in a very concise way, tell us what the ultimate goal of the church is. He says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Right? God's ultimate, not you and I. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. Piper's saying that worship, our hearts inflamed for God, is the fuel that pushes missions forward. Don't think of just oversee missions, but just living out the mission of Christ. It's the fuel that pushes it forward, and it's the ultimate aim of it. It's the goal of it. I think of Psalm 67. Just read it the other day. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's the goal of missions, is that all the nations of the world would be glad in God and sing For joy, be brought into the enjoyment of God. Everything starts with worship. Everything starts with worship. So God fundamentally and primarily wants you to be a worshiper because everything else flows from there. So what's the essence or heart of worship? When we worship together with song, should we sing a cappella or with instruments? 
Should we clap our hands? Raise our hands? Should we dance? Should we be more or less outwardly expressive? What do you think? Should we sing old hymns or more contemporary songs? Should we worship for a shorter period of time, like 20 minutes, or a longer period of time, like 90? (laughs) These are important things to talk about. All of them. But they miss the core of what worship is. Our text here this morning, Jesus starts off, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And he says to her, the hour is coming and is now here. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. With the coming of Jesus, worship changed fundamentally from being outwardly expressed with outward appearance and expression and location to being radically inward. Jesus is talking to this woman from Samaria, and he says to her, it doesn't matter if you worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. What is going on in your heart and in your mind in worship is what is really important. What's going on in your mind? You're thinking about what's going on in your heart, what you're thinking about or what you're feeling, what you're, where your affections are. That's what's ultimately important. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 15 because their worship was run through with hypocrisy. And he said, Isaiah rightly prophesied about you when he said, you praise me with your lips but your heart is far from me. You give lip service. You you say the right things, but your heart is a million miles away. You see, the heart of worship, the essence of worship, is a heart that prizes God above everything else. When that is going on in your heart, You'll express worship in all kinds of ways. Through acts of love, through exuberant praise and worship. But the essence of worship is a heart that treasures God. It's a heart that loves God. It's a heart that prizes Him. It's a heart that cherishes God above everything else. If we give Him lip service but our miles are away, it's a zero for worship. And so... If the heart of worship, if the essence of worship is a heart that prizes God above all things, from our text, I want to show you three things. True worship involves at least three things that Jesus wants to drive home. Apart from these things, there's not true worship. True worship, first, is a God centered pursuit. Second, it is we are pursuing God with a mind enlightened by Christ-exalted truth. And third, it is pursuing God with a heart inflamed by the Holy Spirit of God. Let's just look at those one at a time. First, it's a God-centered pursuit. Jesus says, true worshipers 
will worship the Father. Stop right there. True worshipers will worship the Father. Jesus says true worshipers. He differentiates between true worshipers and false worshipers. This is important because Jesus knows that every human being made in the image of God is a worshiper. Did you know that? Every human being worships. The question is not whether you will worship, you will. The question is, what will you worship? Or better, who will you worship? And how will you worship them? Romans chapter 1 says those who don't worship God, here's what they've done. They've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So you can worship all kinds of things. Jesus wants to point out what a true worshiper, what they do, what they look like, what true worship is. Oftentimes we struggle with, just think of worship as whatever is ultimate in your life. Whatever is ultimate in your life. Oftentimes we struggle with worshiping or valuing or cherishing or treasuring other human beings. A spouse or our children or, quite frankly, oftentimes the person in the mirror. And they are uppermost in our affections. They are supreme. They are our greatest treasure. Sometimes we have more noble things that we worship. We come together and we worship right doctrine, right? If we have all the right doctrine, we worship that. We worship theology. Others might worship ecstatic spiritual experiences. All of those miss it. Jesus says true worshipers worship the Father, Here's the exciting and sober truth. Whatever you worship, you will become more like. In Psalm 135, the psalmist says, these idols that people make out of wood, they have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, but they can't do anything. And then it says, those who make them become like them. And so do those who praise them or those who honor them. It's a sober reality to think that false worshipers, false worship is we are becoming, human beings are becoming more and more like what they worship. But here's the exciting truth. If you worship the Father, you will become more and more like him. You, you, will, you will look more and more, you will behave more and more like him. You will speak more and more like your father. So true worship is a God-centered pursuit. Now, I say a pursuit because we are pursuing God, aren't we? When, maybe this is, a, maybe this is a, a different way to think about church for some. Maybe for many, perhaps. I don't know. But when we come together, there is, there's fellowship. There's, there's a social aspect of church. There's that for sure. But I want you to shift your thinking and from now on see church as we are going hard after God together. We are pursuing God together. You read through the book of Hebrews and Hebrews talks over and over about the worshiper drawing 
near to God. Drawing near to God. We want to meet with God. We want to draw near to God and worship. We want to be like David in Psalm 27 who said, This one thing I ask for and I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and to meditate in his temple. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 42 who said, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, God. So we want our worship to be not minimally God-centered, but radically God-centered. We want God to be at the center of it. We don't want ourselves or a certain style of music or anything else to be at the center. We want to be drawn to God. We want to pursue God. We want our worship to be radically God-centered, centered on and pursuing God. But when we realize that it's a God-centered pursuit, well, then there's a couple other things. There's a couple other important ingredients. We need to have a mind That's enlightened by Christ-exalting truth. For Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father. I'm going to get these out of, I'm going to do these out of order today. In spirit and in truth. Listen, a careless mind, a careless mental attitude. Let me put it that way. Careless mental attitude prevents true worship. If you've ever heard someone say, let your mind go so you can experience God, they are trying to, they, not, maybe not trying to. That is to lead people away from worship. For Jesus says, worship, true worship is to worship in spirit and truth. Mindlessly singing words is not worship. Worse, singing untrue things is not worship. Heresy sung with excitement and joy doesn't honor God. Imagine if I was up here describing how amazing my wife is to you. And in the course of talking, very quickly it became apparent I was describing another woman and not my wife. I was going to say my wife has blonde hair, but she does have blonde hair now, so (laughs) that doesn't work. (laughs) But imagine I was describing Alyssa and, and I was telling you about her And you were looking at her, and what I was saying, you're like, he's talking about someone else. I could get really excited in my description of her and be full of joy. It would not be honoring to my actual wife. Our worship of God must be in truth. God-centered worship, true worship is worship in truth. We must have our minds enlightened by the truth of who God is and what he's done. Of course, we get the content of this truth out, not out of thin air, not just out of our brains. Not, God doesn't just kind of plop it down upon us out of thin air, but we get it from his authoritative truth, the scriptures. God has spoken to us. God has said, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. These are the things I've done. These are the things I still do. And we're to fill our minds with thoughts of God. Jesus praying to the Father in John 17, verse 17. This is called the high priestly prayer when he's praying for his disciples, but then 
He's also praying for us because he's praying for those who believe the word of the apostles, the word that the gospel that's been passed down. And he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Definite article, the truth. Your word is not just true. Your word is truth. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure, opening up the mind's eyes to God's truth. And since Jesus Christ is the center of God's revelation, we want our worship primarily to center on the truth of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in many times in the past, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, how has he spoken? Through his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the center of God's revelation, his person and his work, what he's accomplished on our behalf. So our worship must aim to exalt the truth about Christ, who he is and what he has Done. Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth. And so we want our worship, we want our thoughts to be focused primarily upon Christ and his coming and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his second coming because this is the blazing center of God's revelation of himself to us. I love the, the Sunday school curriculum we use for... Um, in our Sunday school classes, ages 6 to 11, anyways, those classes use a curriculum called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the subtitle is called, um, the subtitle is, Every Story Whispers His Name. Every story whispers the name of Christ. And we want our worship to be full of Christ-exalting thoughts in our minds. God is thrilled with his eternal plan to reconcile all things through Jesus Christ, and we must be too. So we want to fill our minds with what is on God's agenda for our worship. In Revelation 5, we get a glimpse into the worship of heaven. And guess who's at the center of it? Jesus. And it's awesome. Revelation 5, verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song. Should we sing old songs or new songs? Both, right? The Bible talks about new songs often. Here in Revelation 5, we see, They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. A couple of verses later, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And at the end of this chorus, it says the angels and the 24 elders and the four living creatures and the myriads of angels and saints, they all said, Amen. So we want worship, true worship must be filled with Christ-exalting truth. Whether it's in a song with more complex lyrics such as in Christ alone, 
or Be Thou My Vision or something like that, or a song with simple, repeatable chorus like You Are Worthy of It All or You're a Good, Good Father. We know God is a good father through Christ. We want our worship to be in truth in light of who Christ is and what he's done. But we are to worship not just in truth, but also in spirit, in spirit and in truth. Just like heresy sung joyfully does not honor God. Lifeless, cold orthodoxy doesn't either. That might be worse. I don't know. The Pharisees were fairly orthodox in their belief. They, they gave lip service to God, but their hearts were millions of miles away. Correct doctrine with zero enjoyment is a zero in worship. It's not worship. It's not true worship. So true, excuse me, which is why it must be in spirit and not just in truth, but in spirit and in truth. So when Jesus says true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, what does he mean when he says in spirit? Is he talking about in our human spirits or is he talking about in the Holy Spirit? Well, I want to suggest that it's not an either or but a both and. And John chapter 3 verse 6 helps to shed some light when Jesus talking to Nicodemus who was a Pharisee and telling him about being born again, telling him about the new birth. He said this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh has fleshly life or biological life. That which is born of the spirit has spiritual life. It's been made alive. That which is born of the spirit has been given new spiritual life, true life in Christ. This is the miracle spoken of hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Ezekiel. And he kind of unpacks this, I think, in more detail. What happens when someone is born again? Here's what he says. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, my Holy Spirit within you. New heart. A new spirit. Heart of stone taken out. Heart of flesh put in. What's a stony heart? It's a dead heart. It's a heart that's unresponsive to God. It's a heart that can't respond to God. How does, does a rock respond to your command? No. God takes out the stony heart. He puts in a soft, sensitive heart of flesh. And then he puts his spirit inside of us. It goes on to say, so that we will follow his commands, so that we will do what pleases him. For those who are new creations in Christ, our spirits exist and they have their life through the Holy Spirit of God. So true worship happens when our inner man or our spirits are made alive and made sensitive to the inner workings of of the Spirit of God, which is why true worship is not just an enlightened mind, but an inflamed heart. It's a heart on fire. 
It's a heart set on fire for God. It's a heart that loves him. Do you love him? Is your heart on fire for Christ? Do you love Christ? Is he your treasure? Is he your prize? Do you cherish him? Notice I'm not asking if you believe in him. Everyone who says, of course I do. When I say, do you, do you cherish God? All of a sudden we have to think for a second. I know what it's like to cherish. Is he infinitely valuable to you? Or I'll just ask it again. Do you love him? To worship in spirit means to have our affections deeply involved. Affections, emotions. Affections is an old way of saying it. Emotions, deeply involved. Deep affections, emotions enlivened. A heart set on fire. Some some churches, denominations, maybe some, maybe some here. I, I don't know that many, I don't know, I don't know. Some say, wait a second, hold on, hold on. You're talking about getting carried away and caught up in emotionalism. Insofar as our emotions are heightened and stirred massively by truth, I say, bring it on. Amen. Right? This is a silly example. I watched the Iowa State game last night. My emotions were involved. I wanted them to win. God is so much more valuable than a silly basketball game. I agree with Charles Spurgeon who said, I would sooner risk the the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than see the air grow stagnant with a dead formality. We want to be fully biblical, right? We want our minds to be enlightened. We want want like, like the light bulb in our mind to go on like, wow, this is true about Jesus. And then we want our hearts to be affected by what we see. What is it to have the heart full of the Spirit of God? What is it to have our hearts full of God's Spirit? Well, read read it earlier. It's Romans 5, 5. It's the last verse from our memory text here in the month of March. It says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Can you have the Holy Spirit poured into your heart? Or I think the New American Standard says, shed abroad, like, can you have the Holy Spirit poured into your heart and have your emotions unaffected? I can't imagine how that would work. I think that's, that's that's impossible. 
Now, some are more outwardly expressive. I get all that. There's personalities, all of that. I get it. But how can we be unaffected, stoic, unmoved emotionally when our, if our hearts are full of God's love by the Spirit who has been given to us? Romans 8, verse 15 and 16 says this, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. Now there, there in the same verse, it says, the spirit of God bears witness with our spirits that we belong to God. <clears throat> We've been given the spirit of adoption. He's been placed inside of us. He's been given as a gift to us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And it is by the spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't that what it says? By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit fills our hearts and takes the truths we believe about God and his nature and his character and his work in Christ and he makes them alive. He helps us to, as Jenny put it, really believe them. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe, you're, maybe we're singing a song. You've sung many times. You know the words by heart. You know them. Uh, you, could, you don't have to look at the screen. You've sung these words dozens of times. But this one Sunday, you're there singing the same familiar song. And the truth of it nails you. And all of a sudden you're Tears are streaming down your face or you are filled with ecstatic joy over what you're singing, over the truth you've heard so many times. Or maybe it's not when you're singing. Maybe it's been when you've been in devotions, reading your Bible and you're reading a familiar passage. It's a passage you've read many times before. Jenny said she'd heard Psalm 103. You've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Many, many times, all of a sudden, whoa! They really are gone. That'll make you sing. I really am loved. I really am eternally secure in Christ. He really is good. When the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God's word centered on Christ and reveals it to our hearts, we say he really is good. And it makes my heart glad. He really is holy and it it fills me with awesome reverence for him. And I just feel like getting on my knees because he's really big and I'm really small. He really is loving and it melts my heart. He really is just and I can rest knowing that he will make everything right in due time. He really is merciful, and it's so relieving that he is. 
He really is my Savior. He really was my substitute. He, he really, he took my place. I should have suffered what he suffered, but he took my place. He's my substitute. He really is a sovereign king ruling the nations. He really is a friend, tender, kind friend. He really is my father. When those things, when the Holy Spirit takes those truths and makes them alive to you, you'll worship. They will be sweet to you. They will be so precious to you. He really has taken away my sin. He really has secured my eternal salvation and I can be totally assured, not second guessing, not wondering whether or not I'm going to be saved in the end. He really is coming again. Minds enlightened by these truths and hearts inflamed by them, pursuing God, this is the kind of worship the Father seeks. I love this passage how it says, the Father is seeking such worshipers. Isn't that good news? Because some here might say, my... (laughs) My heart's just not there. God the Father, by His Spirit, is seeking worshipers like this today, here. So if this describes you, amen. And if it doesn't, there's hope. Because He wants this to describe us. This is the kind of worship the Father seeks because it's the kind of worship that honors him. He is glorified not just by a correct apprehension of truth, but by an enjoyment of the truth in our hearts. And all the corresponding affections of enjoyment of the truth, whether it's joy or love or reverence or hope, God is honored not just by sturdy emotions getting people whipped up into a frenzy emotionally, but he is honored and and glorified by stirred emotions in correlation to truth. True worship of the Father must include, and this is what the Father is seeking, our heads and our hearts, light and heat. Seeing with our minds and feeling with our hearts. He is seeking true worshipers who worship this way. So we must worship this way. We must worship this way. We must aim to have our singing our worship through song be in accordance with this glorious truth. And I love it. And I love this God I'm singing to and about. He is awesome and glorious. And then, of course, what flows out of that? All kinds of expressions. There's going to be times when it's going to be very appropriate to clap our hands and lift our hands And shout with a voice of triumph. 
and dance. And there's going to be times when it's going to be very appropriate to get on our knees and silently adore him. Or maybe lie prostrate in humble reverence of his majesty and holiness. When we worship this way, God the Father, when we are are in a God-centered pursuit with our minds enlightened by Christ's exalting truth and our hearts set on fire by the Holy Spirit, it honors God. He really likes it. He delights in it. And when we worship this way, it is explosive. It is explosive. Remember what Piper said, and I agree with him, that worship is the fuel and the goal of the church and the church's mission. You know, I want to take, we just have a few moments here before we wrap up. I want to take just a few moments. I want to talk about singing. Why is music and singing a prominent expression of worship? It's not the expression of worship. It's one of many. Our whole lives are to be lives of worship. But why is singing such a prominent expression? I I just, last night I was like, I just want to end with a few thoughts on this that would encourage us to be a singing people, to really, to sing and rejoice and express our worship to God with joyful singing. Well, Three reasons. That's, all, that's what I got. There's more than that, but that's what I got. First, the Bible is a book full of singing. If you've read much of the Bible, you've noticed. In fact, if you, if you open to like the middle of the Bible, there's this one book. And that's all it is, is songs. And it's the biggest book in the Bible. It must mean God enjoys songs and music. Jesus sang. God sings. Zephaniah 3, God quiets you and rejoices over you with loud singing. The New Testament church sings. The book of Revelation. We get lots of glimpses into what is going on in heaven and there appears to be lots of singing. Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7. In just two verses, listen to the point the psalmist wants to drive home, okay? Sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Sing. Be a singer. If you're like, I don't sing well, that's irrelevant, I don't know there's any place in the Bible that says, be a good singer. It just says sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's right. Number two, music and singing is a wonderful gift of God, which can reach both the mind mind and the heart. And that's why I think it's so important that we we sing songs that aim to do that, to enlighten our minds and reach our hearts. 
Warren Wearsby in his book, Real Worship, says, Music reaches the mind and heart at the same time. It has the power to touch and move the emotions. And for that reason can become a wonderful tool in the hands of the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, and a terrible tool in the hands of the, of the devil, but a wonderful tool in the hands of the Spirit because it affects our minds and our hearts at the same time. And third, why is singing and music so important in expressing our worship? This is a powerful thought. I want you, I want you to grab hold of this. Singing completes our enjoyment of God. C.S. Lewis, I'm just going to steal this from him, okay? Because I can't say it any better, and I wouldn't want to try. In his reflections on the Psalms, he says this, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment, It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And here's how he finishes. He says, so commanding us to praise him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Have you ever seen, maybe you were... This has happened to me where I'm in the car by myself and I see a sunset or a sunrise, something beautiful in creation. And I, ju- I can't not say, that's amazing. Beautiful, glorious. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you saw the mountains for the first time. You're like, Whoa. What is that? The praise of something or someone completes our enjoyment of it. And so God invites us to sing and to praise him because God, and as God invites us to sing and praise him, God invites us to enjoy him. God invites us to enjoy him more and more. So, let's seek to be true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Let's not settle for anything less. Let's aim to have our minds opened up, enlightened by by truth that exalts Christ. Let's have our heart, let's aim to have our hearts inflamed by the spirit, seeking to be filled with the spirit continually filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And in all of this, let's, let's go hard after God. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah, when you seek for me with all of your heart, you will find me. I'm looking forward to Times where we are worshiping God and go, just going hard after him where it's like, wow, he showed up powerfully. I'm certain God wants to do that more and more in our midst as we pursue him. Let's pray. Father, we worship you today.
And we give you thanks. You are so good to us. How can we not sing when we truly understand who you are and what you've done? I think of the psalmist who says, what can I render to the Lord for all the benefits he's given to me? (laughs) And he says, I will simply lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the Lord. I will just magnify what he's done and continue to praise him. Awaken us today, Father, I pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and ignite our hearts to love Christ, to love what he's done, to love who he is, to love all that, God, you are for us in your son, Jesus. And I pray you'd stir up our hearts to worship, to live lives of worship, but also when we gather from Sunday to Sunday, corporately, and other times in homes, that when we gather together, we would be on a Passionate, God-centered pursuit. I invite you just to open up your hearts right now and ask God quietly to fill you with a passion for his name. Father, if you're seeking true worshipers, may you find many here. In Jesus' name, amen. In his presence, you're dismissed.